0: Welcome to Grand Rapids Baptist Church. We're so glad you could join us online. Be sure to share this message with your friends. Start a watch party. Encourage others to hear from the Word of God. Nothing could be more encouraging to those in these desperate hours that we live in. Well, let me just say this. You know, the church is not closed. I like what somebody said. They said, it's just simply been deployed. (laughs) You know, the fact of the matter is, church has never really been about the building, although I cannot wait for everybody to get back to the building, um, to fellowship and worship together. That's how it should be. We were never meant to be isolated. Isolation is one of the most uh, most torturous forms of punishment to be isolated. We weren't created to be and live like this. We were created to worship and do life together. And I'm so glad that we could all kind of enjoy each other online. Make sure you comment and and talk to each other throughout the message. Yes, you could talk during the message. That's totally fine. We're so glad that you could join us. But I will say this. The greatest display of God's power might not be God taking away the coronavirus. And and although it will end, all of this will end, it it may be that the greatest display of God's power is that He's going to work something incredibly good out of all of this. And I just trust that with all my heart and I hope you do as well. Well, turn your Bibles to John chapter 12 if you would. Today's Palm Sunday. Today's the day, and it was actually on a Sunday when Jesus made the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, not to wage war with man, but to wage war with sin and with death and the devil. He came into Jerusalem to to conquer and win a battle we could never win ourselves. And I want to read that story to you. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. Get your Bibles open and listen to the words of God. Verse 12 says, And on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was come to Jerusalem, took palm branches and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. The people therefore that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him. For that they had heard that he had done this miracle. Look at verse 19. The Pharisees, the the religious crowd, therefore said among themselves, perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. And that is our prayer, that the world would go after Jesus. Lord, would you use this message to encourage hearts? Lord, may our focus and our attention and energy be upon you throughout this time, and not just during this time, but Lord, really throughout the rest of our life. Lord, I pray that you would work all things together for your good, honor, and glory. I pray many people, thousands if not millions of people, would come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray for all the pastors around the world that are preaching online, and I pray uh, for those churches and their followers and people would share their church's page. And Lord, I may the gospel be heralded from the rooftops and that many people would hear a clear presentation of the gospel. Lord, I pray for our, our doctors and nurses and those on the front lines of this virus, and I pray for our political. Uh, leaders as well, and give them strength throughout this entire process. And I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, back in January, I started working with a marketing group, and we were uh, working with them to uh, get our name out and to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and of course, after the coronavirus thing hit, uh, everybody went online. And of course, we've already had online services, but we wanted to make them better. And I said, hey. I, I, the guy we're working with, his name's Humberto. I said, Humberto, what do we need to do to make our online services even better? And uh, he sent me a list of all these items that we needed. And, and I'll, t- I'll tell you, I was, I, was a, I was a little overwhelmed by the, the cost of it and how expensive it was. And it was like $6,000 of, of stuff we needed to make our online services and that experience that, that you're viewing right now even better. And so I remember kind of like thinking, well, we'll just have to maybe buy one thing at a time and make our way uh, to I- enhancing our online services. Well, <laughs> I brought that list to Josh Stevens. You guys know Josh Stevens. He, he runs our media team. He does a great job. And our media team's here now and our worship team. We're so thankful for your service and coming here on Sunday. But I, I took that list to Josh Stevens. I said, Josh, I said, we gotta buy these things to make our online services even better. And, uh, and as I showed him the list, he goes, Pastor, that's right there, that is right there, and that is right there, and then this is right here. When we did our entire auditorium expansion, I had no idea that we had all of those things. We were missing one thing, which was an a, a up-convert box to make it more high-definition on, online, and we get that on Tuesday. Can't wait. But what I didn't realize is I already had everything that was on the list, Everything that was on the list, we already had, and I didn't even know it. Isn't that crazy? Well, I'm thankful for that. And that's what happened when we did our auditorium expansion. Of course, I wasn't involved in all the details of the auditorium expansion, but man, we had everything that Humberto said we needed to have. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Knowing what you have when you have Jesus. Knowing what you have when you have Jesus. Don't get to the end of your life and realize you already had what you needed for life and happiness in the person of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Imagine someone going to you and saying to you, hey, if you want to enhance your life, you need these items. You need this and you need that. And, and maybe you would look to them and say, well, that's too expensive. That's too hard to get. That's impossible. That's impossible. I'm here to tell you that if you have Jesus, you already have everything you need for life and for happiness right now. We have everything, listen, what we need. I didn't say what we want. I'm saying we have everything we need for life and happiness. Let me say it this way. Our circumstances should not shape our view of God. God should always shape our view of our circumstances. We should always look at our circumstances through the lens of God. And so what I want to do this morning is is help us have a perspective or a view that God has on this life and in the circumstance that we find ourselves even today. So just as I did not know what I had in technology here at the church, I want you to avoid the same mistake spiritually. I want you to avoid that same mistake not knowing what you have in Jesus. And of course, I can do a 30-week series on what you have in Jesus, but in the triumphant entry, I want to expose to you from the Bible what you really have in Jesus Christ. God wants you to know what you have. God's not a respecter of persons. He's not just over here saying that, oh, this group of people can know what, they, what I have for them, but this people can't. God wants everybody to know what they have in the person of Jesus Christ especially if you know him. So you don't want to get to the end of your life and realize you never accessed his resources. That you never accessed his resources. Now, let me qu- quantify this a little bit, okay? There's a fundamental difference between getting something from God and getting more of God. So what I'm talking about this morning is not about what can I get from God, but what I want to talk to you about is when you have more of God, you get everything he offers. So the question isn't, what can I get from God? The question is, how much of God do you have? How yielded are you to God? Because when you're yielded to him, you're close to him, as we've talked about in times past, in the last few weeks, you have everything he offers in his presence, in in your closeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. So when he came into Jerusalem, What was he offering you and I? What was he wanting to give us? Well, first of all, he came to give us complete redemption. He came to give us complete redemption. That that means he paid for our sin on the cross fully, paid in full. We did not have to pay any part of what he paid for on the cross. Complete redemption. The scene that I just read in John 12, 12 through 19, this scene shifts from a quiet dinner with close friends to a noisy public parade through the streets of Jerusalem. And, and in this parade, as Jesus came riding a donkey into Jerusalem, the people, many of them from Galilee, many of them the outcasts of society, uh, and those are the, peop- those are the great Multitude of followers that Jesus did have were, were those that, that were kind of the outcasts. And that's who Jesus came. He didn't come to, to heal the, the, the healthy. He came to heal the sick. And it was the sick that would wave the palm branches. And waving palm branches became um, a common practice in national celebrations. One Jewish historian said, the Oriental regarded palm branches as symbols of life and salvation. Uh, they yelled out Hosanna in these verses. Look at verse 13. They took branches of palm trees, you find this in Leviticus, and went forth to meet him and cried what? Hosanna. Hosanna is a transliteration of the Hebrew phrase that means give salvation. Give us salvation now. And Jews commonly use this word in their praise of the Feast of the Tabernacles and their dedications, and during the Passover, even as I speak today, even in Jerusalem and Israel today, they're quarantined into their homes, and this week they, they, they are celebrating the Passover week. We celebrate, as Christians, we celebrate uh, the, the Easter week or the Resurrection week, uh, Passion week, as many people call it. But as Jesus was coming in in this procession, on a donkey, I imagine some of the Roman soldiers must have smiled, kind of smirked at the triumphant entry because it was nothing like the Roman triumphant. The Roman triumph celebrations in the city of Rome were quite extravagant. Whenever a Roman general was victorious on foreign soil and they had to kill at least 5,000 of the enemy... And gain new territory, he was given a Roman triumph when he returned to the city. The victor would be permitted to display the trophies he had won and the enemy leaders he had captured. The parade ended at the arena where some of the captives entertained the people by fighting wild beasts. Compared to a Roman triumph, our Lord's entry into Jerusalem was absolutely nothing just coming in as a humble servant on a donkey and the outcasts of society just waving palm branches. But when Jesus came into Jerusalem, he came to win a much bigger battle than any Roman soldier has ever fought. He came to battle and defeat sin and the grave and death. Jesus came to win the victory over what defeats every human soul on earth. When I ask somebody if they're saved, <laughs> you know, we talk about this all the time about being saved or salvation. I ask somebody, hey, have you ever been saved? And, and I've had people say yes. And I say, well, when did you get saved? And they'll say, when I was 12 years old, I almost drowned in the lake and I, I, I was saved. And I'm not talking about your physical body, about salvation being physical. I'm talking about salvation being spiritual. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, he came to defeat sin and the grave. Our greatest need as humans is for spiritual salvation, not physical salvation, but spiritual salvation. I like what Mark 8:36 says. It says, what's it gonna profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? If he profits physically, but loses his own soul. Look, we all want our physical bodies to be healthy. We want them to be safe, and there's no doubt about that. We've seen a lot of people around town in the grocery stores all masked up. Uh, one of my friends sent me a, a, a picture of a guy who was in a scuba suit, a full scuba suit with a tank. Uh, people are, are getting a little crazy with, uh, with this, and I understand we want to be safe physically, but what about our spiritual part? What about spiritually? Spiritually. What about you, spirit? Like, what are you doing to protect yourself spiritually? The greatest display of God's power was not in his creative work, although it is glorious when we look at the universe. It was displayed in his redemptive work. The greatest display of God's power was not his creative work, it was his redemptive work. See, his creation reveals his power but his redemption reveals his love. And what is creation and what's so impressive about power if it's not expressed in love? Nobody's impressed with somebody's power if they don't think that there's love involved in that power. He did not come to save the people of Israel from political bondage, but from spiritual darkness. And the fact of the matter is he did it in love. He displayed his power, not just in his creative work, but in his redemptive work when he died upon a cross to save mankind from their greatest need. And that need was, is that their sin would be taken care of, would be cleansed, that they would be saved and born again. I like what Romans 1.16, what Paul said. He said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel simply means good news, I'm not ashamed of the good news. And that good news is that Jesus, God himself, came to this earth, died on a cross voluntarily in your place and my place on the cross, shed his blood, which was the payment for our sin. When he was buried in a tomb after three days, he conquered sin, he conquered the grave, and he rose again. And those who put their faith in Christ are saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news. For it is the power of God unto salvation to, to how many people? To everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's for everybody, it's for everybody. This is complete redemptive work. You say, what do I have when I get saved? You have complete redemption. You have full assurance that when you die, you're going to heaven. You don't have to worry if you died today where you would go. If you're born again, you have complete redemption in the person of Jesus Christ. You are guaranteed salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be, hope to be, could be, but shall be saved. God God came here because he loves you and he wants to complete your redemption by you believing on him. And his work was finished upon the cross. So why is salvation so important then? Okay, so if I have salvation... How do I, what does that mean to me as a saved person? Like, what do I have if I'm saved? Well, what happens when you get saved is you you have a proper identity. You're given a proper identity. In other words, a lot of people, their identity is involves the opinion of other people. Whatever somebody thinks about them is what they think about themselves. What, I, what others say about them is what they think about about themselves. But when you get saved, what God says about you is what matters most. When it comes to complete redemption, Jesus literally purchased you with his own sacrifice, his own blood, and gave you an identity that's wrapped in his perspective and view of you. So you don't need the approval of others to know who you are. You don't need that position at work to feel complete and whole. You don't need things to always go your way or as planned for you to feel and know that you're complete and whole as a person. See, when you have Jesus Christ, when you have salvation, you have everything you need for life and happiness. You know what else comes with salvation? Salvation gives you an eternal perspective. Imagine this, if you're living in today's society right right now, and you are because you're watching online, and you didn't think there was life after this, this life. I mean, this was it. This is all we have. Could you imagine having that perspective? But listen, when we die, it's not the end. It's just the beginning for the Christian. You see, when you get saved, you have an eternal perspective. And with an eternal perspective, you have uh, eternal works. In other words, you begin to involve yourself in things that will last for eternity. Okay? Like, Like leading somebody to Jesus Christ. That's something that will last for eternity. Like leading your family. Uh, doing things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ are things that you get to carry on into eternity. Salvation gives you an eternal perspective. So even in the midst of all this chaos, while God's writing his symphony, you get to be a part of that symphony. You, You get to rejoice in eternity with heaven and his angels and everybody else who's saved and say, man, we got to be a part of God's work during the coronavirus pandemic. How awesome is that? Salvation gives you an eternal perspective. It's like, hey, how can I be involved? What can I do during this time that will last for eternity? While a lot of people are just kind of stuck eating all their quarantine snacks and they're, they're uh, just hunkering down watching uh, episodes and episodes of Netflix. And, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with doing those things. But the question is, is there something you are doing that will last for eternity during this time? I know a lot, let me tell you something, the people of Grand Rapids Baptist Church have done a great job of giving. We've had thousands and thousands of dollars come in to meet the needs of people in our community. It's pretty awesome. Thank you for doing that. You guys are such an encouragement, not just to me as your pastor, but to the hundreds of people that are being blessed by your generosity. So thank you for doing that. And what else does salvation give you? It gives you an eternal perspective. It gives you an identity. Salvation reveals that your life has purpose and it has meaning. When you get saved and you realize the God of the universe died for you, it gives you purpose and meaning. In other words, you know that when you were born, you were, you were created. The, the Bible says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made by God, and you were made for a purpose and for a reason. You're not just existing on this earth to just live a nine-to-five eat dinner, go to bed, and do it all over again until you die. You're here for an eternal reason. You're here for a divine appointment. God has given you purpose and meaning in this life, and he wants you to be a part of his ultimate plan. And so let me just share this with you. What do you have at your disposal when you have Jesus? You have complete redemption. And if you've never been saved, you've never called upon Jesus as your personal savior, I'm gonna encourage you to call upon him today, right here, right, right there at your computer screen, right there on your phone, to, to bow your head and ask Jesus to save you from your sin. It'll give you meaning. It, he will give you purpose. He will give you redemption, a home in heaven. You can live with an eternal perspective. I'm telling you, there's a lot that comes when you get saved. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. The the biblical Christian life is the abundant life and you'll never experience that if you don't have Jesus in your life. He came to give you complete redemption. But number two, he came to give you perfect peace. He came to give you perfect peace. It's so interesting because in verse 14, it says in Jesus, when he had found a young ass, I'm reading the King James Version, so... Uh, Some of the kids are probably snickering right now as I say this, like pastor cussed on TV. Um, And sat there on, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, the king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. Well, what's so, why did God have to put that in the Bible? What's so significant about Jesus coming in on a donkey? Well, historically, if a king came in riding on a horse, he came in during wartime but if you came in riding on a donkey as a king, it meant you came in peace. There was a peace time. Okay? Zechariah 9.9 tells us how the Messiah would present himself to the nation. So in the Old Testament, the prophet explained to the hearers, to the children of Israel, how the Savior would come. And, and, it, and he says in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. See, Jesus did not come to wage war with man. He didn't come to defeat the Romans. He didn't come to destroy mankind. In fact, even the very people that beat Jesus that put the crown of thorns upon his head, that hung him on the cross, he looked down at them, not to destroy them, but he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He came to forgive. He came to redeem. He came to bring peace between us and God. What an amazing God we serve. I love this about Jesus. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and the Bible says this. He came not to be ministered unto Usually when we think about a king or a, a some great leader, we, we think of somebody who's, who's going to sit on his throne, and be ministered unto. But Jesus didn't come, although he could have, when he came to Jerusalem. He came to minister and to give his life a ransom for many, as the Bible says. See, peace with God came when you were redeemed. Watch this. When he died upon the cross... He died on the cross, and when you believe on him, he brought, he brought peace between you and God. See, without Jesus, we don't have peace with God because it's sin that separated me between me and God. But Jesus came to bring our relationship together, to redeem us, to reconcile my relationship with God and your relationship with God, and now we have peace with God. In fact, look, look at Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith. So when you put your faith in Jesus, your trust in his finished work, you're justified. I heard somebody say this, that justified means justified, never sinned, or made right before the eyes of God. Even though we're guilty, we're made right. How awesome is that? Watch this. Therefore, being justified by faith, not by works, not by being religious, but by trust in Jesus, we have what? Peace with God We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way you and I are going to have peace with God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he came. He came riding on a donkey to bring peace between us and God. What an amazing God we serve. Now, when you have peace with God, this is what you have at your disposal. You have the peace of God. Once you have peace with God, you are given the peace of God. Notice what Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says. It says, be careful for nothing. The word careful carries the idea of worry. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, let me ask you this. What does everything include? Oh, that's right, everything. By what? Prayer. In other words, there has to be an action step. God's just not going to give you peace if you're not gonna pray, okay? But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, in other words, God says you gotta be thankful during this time. If not, you're gonna lack this peace. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So let me explain this. When you have peace with God and you pray as a child of God, you're given peace from God. You get a peace from God. And it's a peace that it says that passeth all understanding. Somebody would say, well, why do you have so much peace? I don't know. It just comes from God, I guess. I'm not wearing scuba gear to the store. I don't need to. I just just know that God's going to work all this together. And even if I die, and everybody does, uh, sometime that's one guarantee we have. We're all going to die one day. But I have a peace, that passeth understanding, that I know where I'll go when I die. Not because I'm a good person, not because I'm religious, but because I put my faith in Jesus and he promised me salvation. That is the great news. That's good news. Peace with God and the peace of God. In order to have peace of God, you have to have peace with God. God did not come to engage in warfare with mankind. He came to bring peace bring peace. To our hearts, And that's exactly what he wants to do with you. You're, you. If you're looking at this situation like, what do I have at my disposal? What do I need to do during this situation? What you need and I need during this entire process is the peace of God that passeth understanding in our hearts. So he waged war. J- Jesus came into the gates of Jerusalem riding on a donkey and he waged war, not with man, but he waged war with the things that are bringing you down. He came to wage war with the things that bring down mankind. Some of those things, it's like sin. He came to defeat sin. In other words, we don't have to serve sin anymore. We can serve our Savior. He gives us a way out from our sin. I like what James says. It says, when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. The fact of the matter is, sin only destroys. When, When Jesus gave us the Bible... It's not just rule manual for us to follow. Uh, It's a guidebook for us to have a relationship. In order for us to have a healthy relationship with God and with man, we have to do what he says. And he doesn't say it because he arbitrarily throws out rules to make our life miserable. He writes them because he loves us, to keep us safe, to keep us safe, to keep us safe. I want you to think about this. I was reading Leviticus 11. Leviticus 11 tells you, By the way, and Jesus or God is speaking to the nation of Israel and He's telling them what they're not allowed to eat. He said they're unclean. And you know what's in the list? Bats. And swine. 2010 we had the swine flu. (laughs) This year we have the coronavirus because somebody ate an undercooked bat. He he wrote the Bible to keep us safe, friend. To, so that we could have healthy relationships with God and a healthy relationship with man. That's why he wrote the Bible. And so he came down to this earth to defeat what's destroying our soul, sin. Sin. He came to defeat sin. Not just sin's power on us, but sin's consequence. The consequence of sin is hell. When Jesus died upon the cross, he overcame hell. And when you put your faith in Christ, you don't have to go to hell, you get to go to heaven. Look, don't be afraid of what man can do to you. This is what Jesus says. Don't be afraid of what man can do to you, what the coronavirus can do to you. Be afraid what God can do to you after you die. If you're not saved, you have to pay for your sin. Your sin has to be, taken, your sin has to be dealt with. And if you don't have Jesus... You pay the penalty for your sin in a place called hell. That is what Jesus says we need to be afraid of. And if you're not saved, that is your number one greatest need. You need to be saved. Jesus came to wage war against the things that bring us down. One of them sin, another one's lies. You know, there's a lot of fear mongering out there, isn't there? I I know we all watch the news. I've, I've watched a lot of news. And it never has lifted my spirits. Not one time. In fact, it's just, they, they literally have a, a counter of how many people are dying from the coronavirus. And and, and to be kind of honest and frank with you, I don't trust the numbers. And I'm not trying to, I'm not being like a, you know, I, I, I'm not being a conspiracy theorist here, but um, somebody will, will die of a car accident and that they had coronavirus. They'll say that they was. They died of corona. There was there was a link to coronavirus to their car accident, and count that as a coronavirus death. And I understand that there are people legitimately suffering from this virus. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't be safe and we shouldn't have extra measures of precaution. Uh, But what I am saying is that political leaders and others will use this for their gain and for their advantage, and people will lie to you and create mass fear. And let me tell you something, God does not want his people to be living with fear, to be gripped with fear, to just always freaked out about what's going to happen. He's not given us the spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and a sound mind. Like, God wants you to have your mind together. Don't lose your mind over this. Listen, listen, you're going to lose your mind if you keep watching the news. If you keep reading every single blog post and every conspiracy theorist out there, you're gonna start losing your mind. Open your Bible and trust God. Say, God, would you show, give me some encouraging verses? Let me just say this. Most of the Bible, most of the New Testament was written to people who were under heavy persecution, pestilence and everything else, to encourage them to stay faithful. Even the book of Revelation, you're gonna hear a lot of people Come out about the end times. And we should listen, the fact of the matter is, when it comes to the end times, we should just always be ready. How about that? We should just always be ready for God to return. But you'll, all, you'll have people <clears throat> exaggerate these times to prove that God's coming right now and, and, and all this, and, and they're going to scare you. Uh, the Bible, the Revelation was specifically written to the seven churches of Asia Minor to show them under heavy persecution and many of them wanted to quit the faith and John on the Isle of Patmos wrote this book to encourage them to stay faithful. The goal of the book of Revelation was to encourage them that God wins in the end. Not to look at every nuance and detail and and fret about what's gonna happen and you hear Bill Gates is gonna start putting microchips in everybody's hands. Stop freaking out about that stuff. Stop it. Just stop (laughs) Stay faithful to the Lord, love your family, read your Bible, and and go to the store. Buy groceries for your family. Just live, listen, live your life. Just live it. Be cautious, but live it. Don't be so gripped with fear that you're literally, you can't sleep, you're losing your mind. That's not God's plan during this time. I'm telling you, it's not God's plan. He came to give you perfect peace. Don't be like me. I didn't know what kind of technology we actually had at our church. Don't be like me. And don't be the person who doesn't know what they have spiritually at their disposal. You can have peace right now, right now, if you look to Him. So you have perfect, perfect peace. He also came to overcome another, another enemy that brings you down, and that's depression and anxiety. And um, for the sake of time, I don't wanna go into that in detail, but I will say this, in, in, even in those moments, I'm not saying that you don't have bouts of depression or anxiety or you kind of hyperventilate a little bit when you start thinking about what could happen. What I'm saying is when those moments happen, your knee-jerk reaction is to turn to God. Your knee-jerk reaction is to look to Jesus. I'm I'm trusting your hand, your sovereignty, your power. In the midst of this, Lord, I need your peace right now. That's our knee-jerk reaction during these times. So he came to give us complete redemption, perfect peace. And number three, I hope this is so encouraging to you. He came to give you fearless leadership. Fearless leadership. Now I want you to notice this in verse 16. It says, these things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, that means when he rose again from the grave, they remembered that that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead bear record because that's who he is eating dinner with, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, and, and everybody else and all his disciples. Verse 18, for this cause, the people also met him for, they ha- for that they heard that he had done this miracle that he rose Lazarus from the dead. And by the way, that's, that's what he does. He raises us from the dead. He gives us life. In verse 19, it says this, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. And I'll tell you, during times like this, the world is going to go after Jesus. It, you know, the gospel and Christianity thrives under persecution. It thrives in circumstances like this. Don't, I'm not letting this discourage me. I'm actually kind of excited. I think about all the thousands of people that watch this service, that are hearing the gospel. We 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 constantly ask God, God work in our nation, work in the world. And I'm like, guys, He is like He's doing something for sure. Like this is so clear, God is at work in the midst of all of this chaos. So He is our fearless leader. He he just comes in, riding on his donkey, knowing he's going to defeat the devil, sin, and the grave. And and he's just this fearless, confident, humble leader that you and I get to follow. They followed after him. The world's gone after him, and I encourage you to go after Jesus. There's no greater leader the world has ever seen than Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah. You think about during these times, Jesus only walked the Earth for three and a half years with his disciples and turned the world upside down. We call our kids Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We call our dogs Nero and Caesar. <laughs> you tell me which kingdom continues to impact Roman kingdom or God's kingdom. You tell me who the greatest leader was that walked through Jerusalem that day. It was Jesus Christ himself. We serve a fearless leader. We have somebody that we can follow with confidence, knowing he knows exactly what he's doing, my friend. We have a fearless leader. While the world clamors for more power for themselves, they're always looking at how they can serve themselves and get more power unto themselves God came to free you from their grasp. You see, your loyalty and my loyalty lies with the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to serve us. Isn't that amazing? The King of kings and the Lord of lords came to serve you and I. And so therefore, we, we in return love and want to serve him. And, and I'll tell you, Jesus doesn't want us to serve him because we have to. He wants us to serve him because we want to. He doesn't force you to do it. You can do whatever you want to do. He gives us individual soul liberty. You and I can serve him or not. He wants us to serve him because we love him. Most kings will want you to serve him because you have to. But Jesus wants you to serve him because you want to. We are not called to serve the will of man. As a Christian, if you're a Christian, listen to this. We're not called to to serve the will of man. We're called to serve the will of God. And he didn't call you as a Christian, to live the comfortable life, he's called you to live the dangerous life. He didn't call, he didn't call the disciples to live comfortably. They, that's the farthest thing from the truth. He called them to live dangerously. And you know what? That dangerous life turned the world upside down. And you know what? All of them were persecuted for it. The world hates Jesus. The world hates the gospel. You know why? Because it takes their power away. The government, not all government politicians, thank God for Christian politicians Thank God for godly leaders. I'm so thankful for them. But when it comes to mass genocide, it's always come at the hands of those that wanted power at the expense of people's lives. What's so amazing about Jesus is that he gave his life for us. While bad leadership asks others to lay their life down for you, good leadership is laying down your own life for others. And that was the leader, the the fearless, powerful, amazing leadership of Jesus Christ. And he didn't call you, he didn't do all that so you can just live comfortably in your house, have your little food, and kind of just go through the motions. He called you to live dangerously. Maybe call somebody up, share the gospel with them, encourage them. Maybe write a letter or a note to somebody who's in need. Maybe give to a cause. He didn't call you to be comfortable. He called you to live danger. And by the way, everybody watching, is, it's very uncomfortable out there, isn't it? Even when you walk through the grocery store, have you guys noticed how people avoid us, you know? They wouldn't even look at you in the, in the eye. I mean, you walk down an aisle and there's kind of like, like, like you have leprosy, you know? We're all walking around like this. I mean, it's crazy the world we're living in. But you know what it's doing? It's causing people to see that what they need in their life is Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to conclude with this. One of the greatest expressions in the gospel is the phrase in the midst. It tells that Christ is among us as our Savior, as our Emmanuel, God with us. That's what his name is when he came to the earth. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. He's in the midst of us. I like, uh, he's in the midst of our questions. You have questions. Did you know that God's not afraid of a question? He's not afraid of your question. And in fact, the Bible has an answer to every single question. The the question is, are you willing to hear it? It's okay if you don't believe it, but are you you at least willing to hear the answer that God has for your questions? Because I promise you, He has an answer, and it's amazing if you'll just give Him a chance. And I'm talking to Christians, too. There's Christians who don't even want the answer. They just want to live in their fear, play the victim, make people feel sorry for them instead of living victoriously. He has an answer. He lives in the midst. I think of Luke chapter 2 and verse 46 when the chi- as a child, Jesus as a child, stood among the, question- the questioning rabbis. Uh, Jesus is in the midst of our persecution. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 40, it's not on the screen, but but I just want you to hear these, this verse. It says, All they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every, every one of them and healed them. He walks in the midst of our persecution. not that amazing? That's an interesting verse because they all had diseases, and, he, lay, and he, he didn't avoid them. He laid his hands on them. He's in the midst of this entire pandemic. He's in the midst of our worship. In Matthew eight twenty, it says, "Where two or three are gathered in His name, even though we got more than three here in the auditorium, uh, but online here we are gathered together in the name of Jesus." The Bible says He's there in the midst of it all, in the midst, in the middle of it, in the middle of our worship, even online. God's in the middle of this. I just wish He would He would respond physically on the on the feed. Wouldn't that be cool? Like, wouldn't that be really cool? Jesus, is like, hey, I got this. <laughs> I'm with you. You guys will be okay. I wish, I wish he would just do that. Wouldn't that be great? But but he did. He wrote. He wrote. He wrote an entire book of what he's going to do and will do. He's in the midst of our need. In John 10:18, Jesus was in the midst, in the middle of two thieves. He's in the midst of our victory. In Luke 24, 36, it says, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. In that verse, in the context of that verse, the disciples had scattered. They went to a house, and because Jesus had just been taken, crucified, was buried, and he showed up in the midst of them. He showed up in the middle of their chaotic time and he, he, said, he said this to them as they were afraid. He said, peace be unto you. He showed up in the midst of them. He's in the midst of our church. In Revelation 1.13, the Bible says and teaches that in the churches of, of Asia Minor, that he walked in the midst of the candlesticks, representing the pastors there at the church. He's in the midst of heaven, Matthew 5.6 and 7.1. Can I just tell you this? He's in the midst of all of this. You're not alone. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Jesus is in the midst of your life. He's in the midst of your business. Some of you are business owners. And you're scared to death. And I'll tell you, he's in the midst of all of this. And as a believer, as a Christian, you have to, in this time, trust his sovereign hand. Yes, do what you need to do, follow protocol, but trust God through the entire process. Some of you, he's in the midst of your home right now. He's there. He's with you. He's in the midst of your friendships. Let me ask you this. Do you look for him there? Like in your business and in your family and in your finances, are you, do you see him in the midst of it, infused in all of the areas of your life? Do you see that? See, he waits to offer you renewal in the midst, and he offers you refreshment in the midst of it all. John 7, 37 says this, I love this. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. The fact of the matter is, Jesus offers you a drink of living water. A glass of water, a water that will satisfy your thirst. There's a lot of things out there. There's a lot of offers out there, but they'll never satisfy like Jesus will. He said, if you eat of my bread, you'll never hunger again. You drink of my water, you'll never thirst again. Drink the living waters. If you drink of Jesus's water, you'll never thirst again. I drank of that water on September 1st, 2001, and I was 21 years old. I called upon Jesus knowing that I was a sinner in need of a savior, and I asked him to save me. I drank of that water, and I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, that was the best decision I ever made in my entire life. There are hundreds of people, hundreds of people in our church who have drank that same water and could testify to the same thing. It satisfies. And if you've never asked Jesus, accepted Christ to be your savior, that you would follow him the rest of your life, You say, Lord, I need you because I can't, Jesus, I need you because I can't get to heaven. I can't live the abundant life. I can't have what you offer me unless I have you. You can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. And you cannot have peace with God until you have God as your savior. You can call upon him as your personal Lord and savior today. You can do that right now, right where you're sitting to taste and drink of his living water. And if you would like to do that, I encourage you, I implore you, I beg you to call upon him today, to do it right now. In a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you can pray in your heart and ask Jesus, Lord, save me from my sin. I'm calling upon you. Be my Lord and Savior, and he will save you. That's why he came. That's why he came. When they were waving the palm branches, they said, Hosanna, Hosanna salvation now. Can I tell you? The Bible says this, today is the day of salvation. Today's the accepted day. You can accept Christ today and be saved. Don't wait another moment. Don't wait another day. Get saved today and experience the peace that passeth all understanding.